Empathy is like a universal solvent. Any problem immersed in empathy becomes soluble. That's a quote from Simon Baron Cohen, a British clinical psychologist. Welcome to episode five, Lessons Learned from Chelsea about empathy and mindfulness. I'm Autumn and I'm hosting the Weird Wellness Podcast that you are listening to right now. Before we start, if you haven't listened to, um, I I believe it's episode three, um, the interview with Chelsea, I would recommend doing that, but you definitely don't have to. There's a ton of lessons to be learned from her without hearing her personal weird story that I'm going to share now. But I do think that if you're missing out on episode episode three, people who have listened to it before can vouch it's worth a listen. There's a pretty entertaining story on that episode. So if you haven't listened to it, I recommend it. But you can always listen to it after listening to episode five. Again, this is a lessons learned episode. So there isn't a guest today. Next episode, you can plan on hearing from a guest. This is all about me doing the research, the debriefing, and the processing for you so that we can elevate voices of people who are weird, have a weird situation, or something that they are connecting to their wellness. Um, I want to elevate their voices and share their stories, but oftentimes in those interviews, there's just not enough time to have this whole processing moment. So I'm going to talk about empathy and mindfulness as the lesson that Chelsea and I, um, we learned from her interview and her weird situation. We're here to connect the weird to wellness um, because I followed the three truths that I read in every single episode. I'm going to read them quick for us now so that we can ground ourselves in these truths and norms that I follow when doing my interviews and thinking about being weird. The first one is I and my guests, we have and show deep love and affection for people who are quote unquote weird. We practice radical acceptance of people for who they are. So we we radically accept people for what they bring to the table. And the third one is being weird is actually an act of self-love or self-care. Let's get started. I did some research for us. And the first little set of research is from a website called Mind Tools. And in this website, they were connecting empathy and mindfulness to career skills and um, transferable skills that we bring to the workplace. So I thought this was really perfect to bring up because of Chelsea's situation as a nurse in episode three. So she brought something, a weird situation from her workplace um, to share with us. It was outside of societal norms, something, something most people wouldn't see every day. And then she reflected on how it affected her. And one thing she brought up was these interpersonal skills, Um, let alone like people are not always super comfortable talking about how they feel or they're not super comfortable being vulnerable. Sometimes those moments feel very uncomfortable and maybe weird. Um, Chelsea brought up a situation that was definitely likely uncomfortable for so many reasons. 
and it, it brings up the points of these helping professionals and helping professions and compassion fatigue and all these things that come into play at a lot of careers that part of the job requirement is basically to practice empathy or sympathy or somewhere in between. So a lesson we learned from Chelsea, um, she brought up having empathy for people who come in and out of her profession, whether that's somebody she's serving, maybe her coworkers, whatever. She brought up a moment where she, she mentioned she had to take a second and stop and imagine what she would feel like if she was in those patient's shoes or how would she want her nurse to react to a really unfortunate situation. So we'll talk a little bit about empathy, sympathy, the difference between those and some really interesting concepts I learned while doing this research about empathy. So first of all, the difference between empathy and sympathy is sympathy is more having um, feelings for someone. So my example I always give is um, I'm not a parent. So a lot of times when my friends who are parents bring things to me of like a difficulty with their child or um, how exhausted they are, I often tell them like, I cannot imagine. And so I'm having sympathy for them. I'm, them. I'm trying to understand that they might be really tired or they might be exhausted or frustrated, um, but I don't understand that experience. And empathy would be more channeling the exact same feelings um, maybe because I have experienced it or something similar. Oftentimes I can empathize with other teachers because that's something that I have felt deeply um, and some of their feelings. So most people know the difference between empathy and sympathy, but it's always a good thing to, to start off with. And I definitely practice with my students, for example, and make it clear when they've had experiences that I haven't had, I make sure to tell them like I cannot imagine how that feels but I do know what it feels like to be sad or I do know what it feels like to be that angry not for the same reason I can't understand how some of my students feel however that's one way that I can relate with them using empathy and sympathy so Chelsea shared those feelings um, with her role being a nurse and I'm sure a lot of nurses can relate a lot of these procedures or Issues people are faced with, they haven't experienced themselves, but they're able to take from their experiences and learn empathy as actually a job skill. Um, so when a weird, out-of-the-norm situation created moments for Chelsea, she told us that she practiced sympathy and empathy and built that wellness skill set up. And, and she mentioned how that wasn't always there in that way. From that Mind Tools website, there was some concepts brought up by psychologist Daniel Goleman. Um, and he said, empathy is a part of our emotional intelligence. And he said, though, that it's developed through three different stages. And that when I read over these, I felt like they weren't linear, but that they were just three different stages that I myself feel as though I walk through, like back and forth through them. So the three stages he mentioned were cognitive, emotional, and compassionate. So cognitive empathy, emotional empathy, or compassionate empathy. I think people who do work in helping professions will definitely relate to these. So cognitive, quick, cognitive empathy was the ability to understand what another person might be thinking or feeling, but there's like not really any emotional engagement, or it's mostly rational or intellectual 
and emotionally neutral. So I, as a counselor, oftentimes I have this type of empathy. I have a cognitive empathy where I'm maybe trying to figure out how they're thinking about something, or I'm trying to talk about how doing schoolwork isn't the most fun thing in the world, but both of us are, there's not a lot of emotional, um, like highs and lows, it's emotionally neutral. So we're relating to each other, we're being rational. Um, then there's emotional empathy. So sharing feelings and understanding someone on a deeper level. Now this one, they've brought up many good points that this could be damaging and overwhelming. And ways to avoid burnout with having emotional empathy is um, taking breaks, ensuring clear boundaries, and strengthening coping skills around things that maybe cause emotional empathy. And maybe emotional empathy comes in the form as form of secondary trauma or hearing stories that, you know, maybe you personally as that helping professional don't share that you've gone through the same thing, but it brings up a lot of feelings and shared feelings. And you might be able to connect with that person on a really deep level, but it's causing you some some overwhelm. And then there's compassionate empathy. And this is another one that I find myself walking through as a counselor or educator. It's taking practical steps with another person to reduce emotional pain for them. So the first thing that popped into my head was like when a, when a tragic thing happens in a neighborhood or in a group of friends or something, and that one person really just like jumps in to make meals and visit with that person and help ease some of their pain. Um, I think I, I know some people in my personal life who just have a really strong skill set in that compassionate empathy um, moment. And um, I'm always grateful for those people because sometimes I'm not always strong in the action steps with empathy. Um, and so those are those three types. So cognitive, emotional, and compassionate. And those are things that I have never really learned about specifically with empathy. So likely in some careers, like I've mentioned already, nurses, you know, they're more likely to reach compassionate just based on their role and responsibility. If you think of a nurse, they're constantly easing pain and taking action steps in order to support someone, whether they actually like this person or not, whether they care about them, know them, don't know them, oftentimes don't know them, that this compassionate empathy is actually built into their job responsibilities. So they may learn valuable skills, but also burn out. And so I think it's important just to recognize in these lessons learned that there are careers out there that have compassionate empathy as a job requirement. And there are some professions out there that do not. And I think that that's really important to bring up because it's something me and Jared talk about a lot. His job as an engineer has daily stressors tolerable stress, sometimes things that overwhelm him, but he's not, he's often not using his compassionate empathy skill. And I think as an educator and other helping professionals, we can relate to that's a part of our job expectation. So super important to recognize. And I think Chelsea as a nurse is someone who would be able to appreciate that we bring up that that is a job responsibility that not everybody has depending on the job. Another section of research that I did was how empathy can change your life and career. So there's some more career stuff because the lesson I truly learned and the big takeaway I took 
was what I just covered was that some careers and professions require this, this empathy and some don't require it. So the lesson learned from Chelsea and her weird situation, we'll go over it. She had a weird situation. So something out of the norm. Most of us are not experience experiencing it. She's processing that situation in that moment. She explains some of this in the podcast. She's having empathy towards another, but pointloma.edu, this, this article brought up this concept of self-empathy. Another thing that as a counselor, I don't think we spoke about. And as I reread the third truth, being weird is an act of self-love or self-care. Chelsea and I were able to extend the concept of experiencing weird, out-of-the-norm things at our job, at our workplace, might actually be a moment to not only build the empathy skills and mindfulness skills, but to push ourselves to practice some self-empathy. That's why I love I love processing and researching this information because this is actually taking me to a place that I've never been before. Chelsea brought up also mindfulness. She mentioned it as a skill that she's practicing and she explained it in a way where that weird thing happens. Maybe it was challenging, hard to process, hard to deal with, that she was both working on her empathy skill, but also in the moment practicing mindfulness to ground her in that moment because it better it better prepared her to offer herself as a helper to her patients. Mindfulness became a skill that she was practicing as well. And if you listen to that episode, she describes a mindfulness practice that she actually learned in nursing school. So again, we're seeing this connection between job training for a very specific career and mindfulness. So my favorite websites, Mindful Schools, something I use in my job all the time, had a great article on mindfulness and empathy. Um, Positive relationships are important in our workplaces and in our lives. Um, Mindfulness is being integrated into many aspects of life, like careers, like schools, due to its positive effects on both interpersonal relationships as well as job satisfaction and personal wellness. Connecting mindfulness and self-love and self-empathy, we can wonder and think about them as as something that go together hand in hand. Is mindfulness an act of self-love and self-empathy? So when we are faced with adversity or someone near us is we're often practicing empathy, but then it might be equally as important to practice mindfulness alongside. Mindfulness is such a neat concept. Um, what it's like to step and walk in in your own shoes as well as someone else's. So empathy towards others. But how often do we really practice self-empathy and sit with ourselves to figure out what is it like for somebody to walk in my shoes? As I did this research, this was challenging for me. And these are the types of concepts that I want to elevate from people's stories because I got a wonderful email from a a family member recently after they were reading, um, not reading, listening with their ears to this podcast in the first couple episodes. And they said, wow, 
I had no idea that you were going to share this type of information. It feels a little bit like me and you need to be having better conversations. And I want to shout out to that person because I was really honest with them and said, oftentimes I hide my vulnerabilities because I'm afraid they're weird or I don't share a lot of things about me. And this is a family member. This is something that we're in family situations pretty often. But I had to tell her, I don't share these things because Sometimes I feel weird for sharing them. And that's the whole point of this podcast is to elevate my voice, but also elevate the voice of others when they're feeling weird. And we got to have a super short discussion about how important it is to have those meaningful conversations, but also to help someone else understand what it might be to walk in my shoes and practice self-empathy. Research has shown that mindfulness programs or mindfulness practices that reduce stress. So oftentimes at school, oh, we're going to practice mindfulness during testing week or before these high stakes times of year. But those practices that naturally reduce stress because we're they're grounding exercises actually can enhance empathy. I read a study. There were two groups that the scientists Um, had participating in this study. The one group would practice five minutes of mindfulness each day as a sort of program. And the second group did five minutes of like a, um, like a brain game. So it was, it was kind of distracting. It was getting their mind actually a little more busy. Then the five minute mindfulness group, they actually outperformed the other group at being able to identify emotions in another person and how that person was feeling. So just by practicing mindfulness instead of like a brain game for five minutes over a month program, a group that just practiced mindfulness was better able to identify emotions and how other people were feeling. So I think back to Chelsea and I can always go back and connect to her example, but she's she's expressed that mindfulness has become a part of her journey I do have to wonder how much that's improving her ability to walk into a patient's room and identify how they're feeling and then adjust from there and practice empathy from there. So just by practicing mindfulness, she might be setting herself up a step ahead of some other nurses or helping professionals who don't practice that. There was also another study done in in a similar way that one group was practicing mindfulness in a program type setting. So they practiced a few minutes of mindfulness every day. And another group did a similar um, just puzzle game or brain game for five minutes each day. And the end of the study, they were brought in with a pseudo job to do at this office. And there were always three chairs. Two fake participants were sitting on one outer chair and then the other outer chair. So there was just a middle chair left. So when these actual participants came in, they they naturally took the middle chair and then the experiment actually started and a fourth participant coming into the waiting room would come in in crutches and kind of hobbling a little bit out of breath. And the group who had been practicing the mindfulness were twice as likely to get up and offer that person in distress their chair while the other group was not as likely to just offer kindness to 
this person who obviously needed it. So even practicing kindness, not kindness, mindfulness to lower stress can actually add to those empathy skills and the ability to even practice empathy. The last little bit of research that I think would be really important to talk about would be um, an article I actually use at school and we use it in our health courses to connect physical wellness and like mental wellness. So the UCLA, um, actually, let me look it up here. UCLA has a kindness institute and I want to get the name right. Um, it is called, hang on, hang on, Bidari Kindness Institute. And the goal is to promote kindness and promote a more humane world. But they have all this great research that actually shows how therapeutic intervention improves mental and physical health. So that like oftentimes the more kind things we are doing, actually the more physically healthier we are. So this is always a pivotal moment in a lot of my learners health course because they kind of go, wait, wait a second, what? Just me being kind to someone else can actually improve my physical health. And it's an often a good way to give them data that shows that and support them in maybe their own physical fitness goals, but then help them with their social and mental wellness that it's a good link. You can describe to them how they're connected. It's a great article. I'll link it in the show notes so that any of you can read the article. It, it's one of my favorites, and I think um, it's great to be shared. So that one I'll be putting in my article. And you'll have to reach out via email if you'd like any of the other research stuff. But like I said, I want to do this for people so that they don't have to do the research themselves, but that they can just drive to work in the morning or go for a walk themselves and hear about these concepts. Weirdness, I think, shows up as self-care in our lives, like the third truth that I share every episode states. But this new concept of self-empathy, I think really stood out as the, the lesson learned for me in this article. I mentioned in the third truth, we practice self-love and that weirdness shows up as a form of self-love. But I think self-love is actually really different than this concept of self-empathy. So I think self-love is admiring our strengths and our personality traits and being able to celebrate parts of ourselves or all of ourselves that should be celebrated. But I think that self-empathy part connects with the, with the second truth is that radical acceptance of our own weird. So I would, I would, I would, I would definitely start a new definition that self-empathy is the radical acceptance of our weird and our weird wellness. Um, self-empathy is compassion for our weaknesses and moments where we admit when we're wounded or how we've wounded or hurt others. We might embrace hard truths about ourselves, but we can't have self-empathy and honor ourselves without being able to recognize all those things that sound hard. And I'll, I'll share the great Glennon Doyle, her quote, that we can do hard things. And I think she would agree with me and say that that's self-empathy and that's self-love. 
self-empathy means that we can we can feel for ourselves and honor every part of ourselves not just the ones that we love because there's going to be parts of ourselves that are hard that we don't love and that are difficult to share with others i'll offer that as the wellness practice today i think with the lessons learned episodes and the um guest episodes I'd rather just include the wellness practice at the end. And I started us off this this season of my podcast with practicing some mindfulness and thinking about tangible ways, but it's really morphed into concepts that we can think about. And I think that's more digestible and consumable for all of you. So the wellness practice I'll offer you is to head to the Spotify show, check out the um, discussion area on the Spotify episode and share share how you practice self-empathy. Give me some examples. I think one way that I practice self-empathy, which is not just celebrating the things I like about myself, self-empathy would be to name and recognize and honor the feelings I have throughout the day. I got to have um, a recent experience spending with my dad. And we're, we're a, a relationship, we're a wonderful relationship, but we don't always get to spend a lot of quality time together. And recently I got blessed to do that and I had to sit and really name the feeling I was feeling. I was feeling joy and vulnerability with him. And I mean, it was making me emotional. I was like almost about to start crying because I felt so lucky to have him when I know other people don't. So I, I had to stop, name, feel, and recognize those emotions. And that was a way that even though they were hard and uncomfortable and my eyes glazed over and I didn't want to show others that part of me, I, I did. And it just allows me to honor my whole self. So go to the discussion section of the Spotify episode five and answer the discussion question or post or whatever it's called. You'll see it. It's The question is, is how do you practice self-empathy? And it says, give me some specific examples. So if you have some, head there. While you're there, if you'd like to follow the podcast, if you'd like to rate it on Spotify, that would be really, really huge for me. And as always, I'm so glad that you were here to process with me about the lessons we learned from Chelsea's episode, which were all about empathy and mindfulness in really weird situations. I'd urge you to go listen to it if you haven't. Again, my name's Autumn, and this is Weird Wellness with Autumn. And I look so forward to having my next guest on so that we can learn a little bit more from someone else who is weird. Thanks for listening and feel free to follow at Weird Wellness on Instagram or Weird Well send me an email, weirdwellness at gmail.com. Love feedback, love to know your thoughts. And if you think that you'd be a really good guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. Um, I can set up calls with people. We can we don't have to be in the same room to record. I'm getting real tech savvy over here. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to publishing the next episode. Bye. Jared's back.
reoccurring guest. Jared. Um, how do you practice self-empathy? How do you um, be open to the hard parts about you? See, I think when I think about this, um, I don't really express it. I'm a big bottled up emotions <laughs> person. Seriously, I, I'm more of a, when I dealt with hardship, I think I'm more of a keep my head down, grind it out type of person. And that's what actually makes me feel better about it. Mm -hmm. um, I know there are instances where you should take time to, you know, reflect on those moments in life, those hardships. Um, but I think for the sake of my well-being and the way that I can see myself pushing through a lot of that is just to kind of do that, um, to bottle it up a little bit and to, to push through. Although I know it's probably not the healthiest way to do it, I think that's kind of how I, um, how I function. I think how I like to push through those times. Well, I think not everybody's empathetic in a healthy way towards others or to themselves. I'm sure there's self-empathy that I do to myself that's not super healthy, but thanks. Everybody else, go to the Spotify episode and share how you practice self-empathy. Give us specific details. Write us an email. Send me a message. Thanks, Jared. You're welcome. Bye.